Well, welcome again. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm going to try and get through verse 15, which will take us to the end of this section. Section 3, which will only leave... Only leave one more section, and then we'll be all done. So I'm hoping to finish up in the next couple of months at the latest. can't remember what I told Jeremy, but I think it was... May 1st, somewhere around there. So hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll hit that. Okay, so we went over in the beginning of the course why the book actually in Hebrew is called Koaleth, and that comes from what the author who Solomon calls himself. So when I say Koaleth, that just means the name that the author, which is King Solomon, refers to himself as, okay? So we're just keeping consistent with that naming convention. All right, so in this section, so the book of Ecclesiastes is divided into four sections. This is the end of section three. Um, in this section, Koaleth is confronting something we've all noticed in our lives. Um, that is that just as an Old Testament philosopher could say, I know I've been assured that the righteous shall have a prosperous and long life, and the wicked a miserable and short existence. But when he looks at the reality around him, he also is constrained to say, I see the very reverse often take place. Um, so this next lesson deals, and I say lesson, I mean what Coalesce is going to talk about here, deals with this, um, the idea of gentle submission in the face of this reality. <clears throat> okay. Verses, the first part of verse 1 then, I will read the entire verse 1 to 15 and then we'll come back and deal with each verse one by one, okay? Who is the wise man and who like him that understands the meaning of the thing? The wisdom of this man enlightens his countenance and his stern visage is changed. I say then, obey the king's command, and especially because of the oath of God. Do not go away hastily from his presence. Do not even stand up because of an evil word. For he does whatever he pleases, inasmuch as the word of the king is powerful, and who shall say unto him, What doest thou? Or what are you doing? Whoso keeps the commandment knows not an evil word. Moreover, the heart of the wise man knows a time of judgment, for there is a time of judgment for everything. When the tyranny of a man is heavy upon him, because he knows not what will be, and because no one can tell him when it will be, no man is ruler over his spirit to retain the spirit, and there is no power over the day of death, and there is no furlough in this battle, and no cunning will save the wicked." All this I've seen, having given my heart to all the doing that is done under the sun. There is a time when a man rules over men to their injury, and thus I have seen wicked men buried and come again, and those who did right depart from the place of the holy and be forgotten in the city. Also, this is vanity." Because sentence is not forthwith executed for evil work, the heart of the sons of men is full in them to do evil. 
because a sinner does evil a hundred years and is perpetuated. But I also knew that it shall be well with those who fear God, who truly fear before him. And it shall be well to and it shall not be well to the wicked, and like a shadow he shall not prolong his existence, because he does not fear before God. Still this still there is this vanity happening upon the earth, that there are righteous men who have wages like that of the wicked, and there are wicked who have wages like that of the righteous. I said that this too is vanity. And I praised mirth, because there is nothing better for man under the sun than to eat and drink and rejoice, and this will follow him in his work during the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Okay. So verse 1. Uh, who is like the wise man and who like him that understands the meaning of the thing? So this lesson, this next lesson taught by this view of life, this practical wisdom, is gentle submission. And here the interrogative or like the question form, you can think of it as like that, is used uh, for an emphatic negative. In other words, no one can be compared with the wise man and with him uh, who knows the import of this view of life. So he who is truly wise, who understands the import of this matter or of this view of life, has no equal or peer. <clears throat> he just uses questions to emphasize that no one possibly is, is this guy has no peer. Okay? Verse, uh, the second part of verse 1, The wisdom of this man enlightens his countenance, and his stern visage is changed. Charlotte, you know what visage means? No. Ezri? Mm -hmm. Alakai? Visage? Sort of. Visage? Owen? No? No, your face. That's, I think, the word for face in French. Visage. Anyway, it means your face. So his face is lightened, okay? So the wisdom of man, uh, this... <clears throat> I'm just going to have to... Sorry. I, I keep forgetting to put these on, and then the <coughs> page just gets blurrier. Okay. Uh, so 1B, the wisdom of this man enlightens his countenance, and his stern visage is changed. So this clause, or this part of the uh, verse, gives reason for the sentiment expressed in the former one. So in other words, no one's like the wise man, no one understands the meaning of a thing like he does. Why is that? Um, <clears throat> in other words, the wise man has no equal because his wisdom, according to which he regulates his conduct, makes him cheerful and teaches him submission to endure that which he cannot cure or change for the better. Okay, so as the face is the mirror of the soul, it is especially mentioned in describing the state of our innermost feelings. In other words, the bitterness and anger that comes from life's cruelties is lightened, the weight is lifted, and the man is made cheerful through his submission to you could say the, the way that God has made things, the structure within which God has um, caused man to live. 
Okay? So verse 2, I say then, obey the king's command, and especially because of the oath of God. Okay, so having submitted that this wise way of living causes us to adopt ourselves and cheerfully yield to the pressure of circumstances, Koalath now applies this precept to the authorities ruling over us. The lesson is of submission and obedience to the authority ruling over us for the time being, and especially as submission and obedience have been solemnly promised with an oath invoking the name of God. So the oath, according to Ginsburg, alludes to the covenant at the coronation of the king, when the sovereign solemnly promises to govern the people according to the law of God, and the people in return swear fealty and allegiance to their monarch. Okay. Verse 3 Do not go away hastily from his presence. Do not even stand up because of an evil word, for he does whatever pleases him. <clears throat> okay, so to go away from one's presence here means to withdraw from him or to quit his service, to throw off allegiance to him. And stand up would be to protest or oppose or to resent. So don't leave his presence hastily. Don't throw off allegiance to him. Don't even protest because of an evil word. <clears throat> the reason for that is that he does what he pleases. So the submission Koleth is speaking of is not restricted to ordinary occasions when everything demanded on the part of the sovereign is in accordance with the feelings of the subject. But we are to be submissive even when the king treats us harshly. If he chooses to rebuke us, we are not, in consequence of this insult, hastily to quit his service and throw off our allegiance to him, nor are we to protest since he can do with us whatever he likes. That's the, the idea there. So does anyone have a, a time or a story or whatever of a time when you had to um, submit to harsh authority or harsh rule and, uh, you know, how you handle that, what resulted from it. <clears throat> if you do, put your hand up and we'll <clears throat> bring you a microphone. No? No one's ever had to deal with, like, a boss that was really demanding or harsh or you got pulled over and a knee put in your throat? <clears throat> so I guess that depends on how you define that. So just any difficult situation of authority, like dealing Not with... difficult, but, like, the person's harsh or asking you to... Or it could be they're asking you to do things... That aren't wrong, but you think maybe there's a better, different way to oh, do it. Yeah. That kind of a thing. <clears throat> well, I can't really think of anything. Okay. Ed? We had a... <clears throat> it's not going to amplify, oh, so just make sure it's on. We had a an, uh, supervisor. We used to work from 6 to 2.30 at the post office. And we're supposed to take a break every two hours. She said, 8 o'clock, you take a break. 
no exceptions. <coughs> well, Express Mail came in at 7.45 and we're supposed to get it out to the city route by 8 o'clock or whatever. So some of the guys went to break at 8 o'clock and the mail didn't get out. After that, it was changed to whenever you're able to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mean, we, we followed the instructions. I mean, some of them did. I couldn't. I was the lead supervisor or whatever in that room. So I stayed, but <coughs> it got changed real quick. Like Yeah. And often that's how things happen is they make a rule. If you argue with them, it's not necessarily going to change. But if you follow the rule and then the consequences come, often it's like, mm, that's probably not a great rule. Let's change it. <coughs> right? Okay. Any other? Scott. I guess I'm on a project right now that requires quite a bit of my time and effort. And knowing that I have to do it, there's comfort in that. I know it's going to happen whether or not I'm there. So I just do it. Okay. It hasn't resulted in any other consequence than that. Okay. Well, and... Yeah, and employers similar, right, to the king in the sense that th although there's a th their authority is much more limited, um, but they still could just fire you, which would result in some consequences for you, I'd imagine. <coughs> yeah, I'm not ready for that. Right. <laughs> well, that's why most people stay at their job. Okay. Uh, but we get the idea, right? Any questions on the idea that submission to authority is not just when we feel like it and when we agree with it, but we're called to submit to the king. And even if... Is that if a form of worship, worshiping him? No, it's a form of worshiping God. Yes, but to keep your job and you <coughs> don't necessarily agree with him. Mm. To keep your job, you do things that, yeah, you submit to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking of just in a lot of normal situations, um, you might have someone in authority over you. And what he's saying here is we, we don't rush as soon as something, they ask us to do something that we don't like, or it's hard or whatever. We don't just leave right away. And we shouldn't even necessarily protest when they're harsh towards us. A lot of it is just you endure that. And then he talks later, and we'll get to that, is how you do that. How, what are your thinking? How does your thinking um, control a lot of how you're able to do that? Okay? All right. <clears throat> so verse 4. Inasmuch as the word of a king is powerful, and who shall say unto him, What doest thou, or what are you doing? Whoever keeps the commandment knows not an evil word. Moreover, the heart of the wise man knows a time of judgment. Okay. <clears throat> so this verse assigns a reason for the assertion made in the second half of the foregoing verse. The king can do whatever he pleases. It gives a reason for that. And it's because, or inasmuch as, his royal mandate is power itself, and no one can call him to account for it. 
right? If you're the king, you do what you want. You make decrees. No one's going to come and say, hey, you can't do that. Um, but we did talk about some how God has structured things so that even the king is subject to the people in certain ways. That was a few few weeks ago. Okay. Um, <clears throat> how useless and hazardous, therefore, for a subject to disrespect or bid defiance to the person or power of a sovereign. Verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think I just read verse 5, which is out of order, so excuse me there. I'll read it again. Um, Whoso, whoever keeps the commandment knows not an evil word. Moreover, the heart of the wise man knows a time of judgment. So, in verse 3, we saw that the wise does not defy the power of, a, of the ruler, even if that power is abused and is made to weigh heavily upon him. Yet we are reminded in this verse that such abuses are not the rule, but the exception. Generally speaking, a peaceful and obedient subject who submits to the institutions of the sovereign will not experience evil words. Okay, and that's when he says, whoever keeps the commands knows not an evil word. So, even though sometimes you might have to endure harsh speech or, you know, things that you don't agree with, um, that's not the rule. Generally speaking, if you're submissive and obedient, you're not, you're not ever going to hear that. You're not ever going to have to deal with that. Okay, verse, uh, the second half of verse 5. Moreover, the heart of the wise man knows a time of judgment. So another reason why a wise man will yield the obedience encouraged in verse 2 is because he knows that there is an appointed time of judgment when the tyrant shall be brought to retribution by a power infinitely above the strength of any ruler. Knowing this, the subject submissively and patiently bides his time and does not attempt to raise his feeble arm. So this also harkens back to verse 9, which we talked about before, where God might use the people as this part of judgment. I think that was chapter 7. So this is one of the ways of thinking that allows us to submit. And this gentle submission of subject to king applies in lesser positions of authority as well, whether an employee is to their boss, wives to husbands, children to parents, and the knowledge that... So let's think about that for a second. <clears throat> I'll just stop reading. How do you think, knowing that there's a time of judgment might help you to endure a, let's, let's say a scenario that I, we're probably all familiar with, is you have a boss, let's say, who is, <clears throat> you know, demanding or rude or um, <clears throat> really critical of what you've done or not very encouraging or whatever it is, tells you to do something. How do you respond? To, how does knowing that there's a future judgment help you respond appropriately in that situation? Owen? <clears throat> 
So I would say knowing that no matter what happens, that in the end, God doesn't leave anything unpunished and everything will be made right in the end. So even if we are wronged by our boss or someone in authority, we can take comfort in the fact that one day God will make things right. And I mean, that's the only thing we can take comfort in. There is no other way to take comfort in a situation like that except that. But how does, so basically just knowing that God will deal with it someday. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that what about more about the judgment? Like, why does that give you comfort? Why? Why does the fact that God will judge them one day give me comfort? Yeah. Like, how does that help you? The, your bosses, that's ridiculous. I can't, Mm -hmm. I gave you this assignment and what you come back with is this and you took Mm -hmm. two weeks to do it. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you, do you, how do, how do you apply that? How do you actually do that? I guess. So how would you respond to him? In your thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is, are, so someone's yelling at you and you're thinking what? Maybe that God is using this for my good. Maybe there's some truth to it. Okay. That's a, that's a good thing to think about, right? Maybe there is some truth to it. Yeah. Okay. I guess that would be the main thing I would think about. Okay. Or I'd want to think about anyway. Maybe I'm getting angry at him, actually, but that's not how you want to respond. Right. Yep. And, of course, the way he's saying it might be rude and obnoxious, but like you're saying, there might be some truth in it that you could still learn from it. Yep. Craig? I was going to say one of the things that can be helpful to think through is that God's adjustment is, is totally just. And so you can, while, while we ourselves may not know or understand, or, you know, maybe there is some truth to what, what, what we've said. Maybe I, I did forget something. Maybe they did say exactly what they're saying. And, and I don't think that that's exactly what was said. But in the end, you can submit knowing that there will be a judgment for you and for that person. So you're going to be held accountable for how you respond to authority. And that authority has a greater authority um, that will hold them accountable as well. It reminds me of, of Jesus, Peter's words in, in first Peter, <clears throat> though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Um, he entrusted himself when he suffered. Rather, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the body that we might are on the tree right on in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it reminds me that even Jesus entrusted himself to, you know, a judgment to come um, and we're called to, you know, suffer with that example in mind. And trust himself to him who judges justly. Is that in that verse? Correctly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and that's, that's right because we, all of our judgments are going to be only partial. Like we only have part of the information. We don't really know what's going on in the person's heart. Even if we think we do and think we can understand it, but God does see the heart and he'll, and it's kind of like what we talked about last week with Adam and Eve and the serpent. Each one of them was guilty of something and yet each one of them was pointing the finger at the other person. So they all had something to learn, but God's the one who sees the heart and can judge everyone perfectly in that situation. What has also helped me to be more submissive to the authorities in my life is is once I started to take on authority mm-hmm. and, and realize just how 
imperfect I am in rendering judgment and at times it may be inadequate the justice that I provide even in my own household and just knowing that you know um, it's 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 good to know like you know judge with what you know but in the end the Lord knows and and there will be true justice in the end yeah yep the reason for the submission too in Ephesians is children are called to obey unto the Lord and wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. It's just a reminder that ultimately the submission is uh, really indicating what our relationship is with the Lord and are we willing to put ourselves under his care and provision of this moment and submit unto him um, even in, in, I guess in our manner of thinking uh, regardless of who that person is. Yeah. No, that's a good point. It's not, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about last time. It's the structure that God's put in place, right? So when we submit to that structure, we're, and we're submitting to God, we're submitting to wives, to their husbands, not because their husbands are great, but because God has called them to. And this is the structure that God has in place. We could trust that God will bless his obedient children. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, Donna, yeah. I'm debating whether I should say this because everybody will probably look at me and think, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Most likely. But when I, I can't, <laughs> when I can't think of, I can't think of a, um, a scenario or anything, okay? But when something happens to me like that, um, that somebody, you want to get back in or whatever. Yeah. I just say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I just think he's going to take care of it. So I don't know if that's yeah. right or wrong, but... That's no, <laughs> that's exactly right. You're you're trusting God to judge in his time and according to his plan. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Yep. That's a great reminder. Okay. All right. Don't want to steal the show. I Just something Stacy said reminded me to read earlier in the verse that says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you will follow in his steps. Yeah. And then when he was reviled, he did not revile. Yep. Yeah, and that it's an important thing to, to remember that submission isn't something that comes naturally to us. It's difficult. It is suffering, right? I mean, I, you know, I'm sure all of you are in the same boat. You've sat there and done a great job on something, and you're sitting there getting berated by your boss or by someone else, and it's like, man, they don't really understand where I'm coming from or what I did, and they heard like a tiny piece of it, and now they're you know, rendering judgment. So it's it's always good to to just remind ourselves that it, it's going to be difficult. It's not easy to submit, okay? Nevertheless, God calls us to. All right. There'll be time for more, um, <clears throat> more comments on the further sections, but I'd like to, to get through this so we can <clears throat> stay on target. Okay, so Okay. So I think I'm just going to summarize kind of what we've all been saying, but the the um knowledge that God who is a just and loving God will one day in his good and perfect time render justice allows us to submit trusting in God's timing okay so any sinful 
um, thing that we have to endure, God will judge that. That will be taken care of in his time. Okay, verse 6. For there is a time of judgment for everything, when the tyranny of a man is heavy upon him. Okay, so this is obvious. There, the time of judgment is sure to come as soon, and this is what we've talked about before with the, the, the tyrant who is ruling harshly. Eventually, the people under him revolt. Okay, so um, the time of judgment is sure to come as soon as the subjects find their sufferings intolerable. Revolt and heavy retribution for every evil which the tyrant has perpetrated will then be the result of his conduct. So the, the evil here, um, the tyranny or evil of man here refers to the tyrant. And, the, and I'm talking about the expression uh, when the t tyranny of a man is heavy upon him. That's really the tyranny or, of e or evil of the man referring to the tyrant. And this tyranny is heavy upon him. So that upon him is upon the oppressed. So at some point, this tyranny becomes too burdensome for the oppressed. And at that point, the judgment comes. Okay, so uh, in verse 7, because he knows not what will be and because no one can tell him when it will be. So this righteous retribution is sure to overtake the guilty because his focus on carrying out his evil designs keeps him from seeing what disastrous consequences his criminal conduct will bring forth and because no one can tell him when all this will come to pass. So this is in contrast to the submissive and wise man in verse 5 who does know that there's a time of retribution with the evil man who knows not what will happen to him. It's, it kind of reminds me that, you know, the guilty is always looking behind them to see, um, you know, waiting for the day of retribution. Or if you're breaking the law, you're living in fear of getting caught. Sort of a natural consequence of living in that way. Um, and you don't know when it's going to happen, and you don't know how it's going to happen. And that's just what he's reminding us of. Okay, verse 8. No man is ruler over his spirit to retain the spirit. And this is, Donna, this is part of what you were saying earlier. This is the, the judgment coming, you could say, right? And he doesn't know when. No one knows when, but it will come. Uh, so no man is ruler over his spirit to retain the spirit, and there is no power over the day of death. And there is no furlough in this battle, and no cunning will save the wicked. That's pretty final. So, and when the day of retribution does come, as it assuredly will come, no man, however great his power, will be able to retain his spirit or hold on to it. No dominion, however wide, will control the day of death. There will be no leave of absence from this death battle and no wicked subterfuge will secure the escape of the crafty. Neither tyranny nor cunning will save this ruler or the wicked man from this appointed doom. 
So in other words, when God's appointed time does come, no man will be able to escape. This is a warning to those in authority, right? You won't be able to trick God or somehow repent right before he comes or something like that. Um, you, uh, you need to be dealing with God on a daily basis and there will come a judgment. But it's also a help to those of us under that type of authority knowing that that ruler's doom is sure. It will happen, okay? We just don't know when and we're trusting God for the timing. Okay, verse 9, <clears throat> all this I have seen, having given my heart to all the doing that is done under the sun. There is a time when a man rules over men to their injury. So all this I've seen, having given my heart to all the doing that is done under the sun, the all this in the first part of the verse refers back to what is stated in verse 6 to 8 about righteous retribution. And all of this, Koaleth assures us, is what he has himself seen, having carefully examined the transactions of men. And then the second half of the verse, uh, there is a time when a man rules over men to their injury. Uh reminds us that Koaleth, however, has also seen instances where retributive justice is wanting. So man sometimes is permitted all his life long to tyrannize over and crush his fellow men with impunity. And verse 10, And thus I have seen wicked men buried and come again, and those who did right depart from the place of the holy and be forgotten in the city. So Koleth um, not only saw tyrants succeed in practicing their tyranny the whole of their life without being visited by retributive justice, but these wicked ones are perpetuated by their children when they die, while the righteous, in contrast, depart this life and leaving no children of their own are totally forgotten in the city. So, in other words, wickedness can prevail a long time, even generations. However, Koaleth reminds us this prevalence of wickedness, this time of evil dominion, is a fleeting time. It will not last forever. It is a vapor. And that's when he says, this also is vanity. So even though that might happen, even though that might look like it could go on forever, it is something that's temporary. It might be longer than your lifetime, but it's still temporary, and God will judge that. Okay. Um, verse 11. Because sentence is not forthwith executed for evil work, the heart of the sons of men is full in them to do evil. Anyone want to paraphrase that before I even say what he's talking about? 11. Well, 
when justice is delayed, it's very easy for men to think that uh, it's something they can continue to do because there is no payment for uh, what they have just done. Yeah. Oh, I got away with that. It's like a, when you think of a kid just kind of testing the boundaries, you know, what can I get away with? And as long as they can get away with it, they'll keep going. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the same uh, when the snake uh, told Eve that you should not surely die? And she believed that. And uh, I think that some of us uh, think that, too, that we could get away with things. And yeah. And have to pay for it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a good reminder when you first read that, you think, well, yeah, they ate it and didn't die. Right. But yeah, it just wasn't executed right away, right. but they did die and death came into the world because of it. So in right. some ways it was even worse than they thought. It wasn't just them dying. It was all of man. Oh, we are. Yeah. yeah all of creation. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so this melancholy absence of retributive justice induces many fearlessly to commit sin inasmuch as they have no apprehension of punishment. Uh, so the heart here is, be, well, the heart is the seat of reason and feelings. It's represented as becoming replete with thoughts which tend towards alternatively, well, try and say it more in spoken English. Um, <laughs> if your heart then becomes full of these thoughts which want to commit evil and then sometimes then follows through with that if it's not stopped, okay? So in other words, with no apparent consequence for sinful behavior, the evil in man's heart is allowed full vent through his actions, okay? So, does anyone know of a good verse which reminds us of the state of our heart? Anyone else, Greg, before you? I'd like to give other people a chance. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah. Where is that? Oh, the references always get me. Thank you. That's what that was what I was thinking, but I always second guess myself because I'm bad at references. <laughs> okay. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So we don't even know our own hearts, but God does, and he'll judge us according to that, okay? So that's a good one. Um, the heart is deceitful and sick. Any other ones? Do we have to train ourselves to make our, like what makes our heart deceitful and sick? Does that come from the world around us or... Okay. 
in Ephesians 2, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yeah. Thank you. So what is that? Um, what stands out there in terms of what it tells you about our hearts? Our natural state is evil. Yeah. Yep. So that's what we tend to do. That's what comes out naturally is evil. Yep. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm going to read one and then. So Genesis uh, 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So all the time what's coming out of the heart is evil wickedness, okay? It's not like sometimes what comes out of our heart is great and sometimes evil. So the state of man's heart, let's say apart from God, is evil. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like a psalm. Yeah. And a song. What's it? Uh, psalm 51. Yep. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Yep. There was another one, and I... The problem is I'm just bringing this book here, but there's a, a verse that is in the New Testament, and I thought it was referencing an Old Testament passage where he says basically, yeah. Maybe you think in Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 3, it says, three? Yeah, uh, I think that's there's it. none righteous, no, not one. Yeah. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm. Thank you. That's the one I was thinking of. And that's perfect. Uh, did you want to say something on that? I mean, I think what I find what I find the most interesting is that the world's philosophy of how they handle a lot of issues starts with the basic premise that man is inherently good and just has a few things that he has to work out or because of his situation or because of the circumstances that have happened to him that um he just needs a little correction and he could, you know, he, he'll be a really great person. Whereas the Bible's basic premise is that, no, you are born sinful. The problem isn't, uh, I think like Pastor Jeremy said the other day, the problem is your heart. It's your desires. And they're at, at, at their root and at their core, they are uh, evil. Yes. Yep. S Alakai. Well, this is sort of like a Sunday school verse, but in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of like, no one is good, not one. Yep. 
No, so all. It's universal. There's no one who's good. Um, so imagine... I mean, there's a lot of ways to try to express this, but... Um, the let me go back to what solomon says here real quick or what koala says um because sentence is not quick in coming for evil work the heart of the sons of men is full in them to do evil okay so we know that the heart is evil anyway right and so anything anyone does is going to be a result of what's coming out of their heart right so the idea here is just like discipline that if you don't control not sure where i'm going with this but i had a good idea i i visualized something a little different but you you're going to say i'm sorry i didn't give you a chance <clears throat> The mouth speaks. Yep. No, absolutely. When people say something, they're speaking from their heart, and they're either speaking pure or they're not. Right. No, that's a good reminder. And it's not just the words, of course. It's all actions, right? Anything we do comes, comes out of our heart. So the idea here is that if, if we are allowed to act without consequence, we're going to tend to act out our, let's say, the out of the mouth, right? You're saying things. Okay. Mm. So, <laughs> more is coming, I'm sure. Um, so, there has to be some sort of thing that maybe controls this or governs it or blocks it, right? Because you have a wicked heart, I have a wicked heart, you can't undo that, right? Now, as a believer, you receive a new heart, but isn't everyone, I think, would acknowledge that even though as a believer you receive a new heart, you still have sinful, wicked tendencies, right? So what that means is you have now a heart with new desires, but you still have a choice in some sense of, whether you're going to sin or whether you're going to obey, but you have a chance now to sort of constrain that wickedness in a way that you didn't before, you could say. Okay? So the point is, though, if it's not constrained at all and you just give free vent to what's in your heart, you're going to be speaking evil and doing evil. And that's the idea here is that if, the, if you aren't, if, if, the sentence or the punishment for wickedness is delayed longer and longer, the more likely you are to continue to act and speak out of your heart. So in terms of discipline, disciplining children, um, how does that relate? How does that concept relate? Learning to, <clears throat> I guess it's pretty obvious, but Janelle, what do you think? I see you grinning over there. Well, I was just thinking, personal experience, um, the longer you ignore uh, a sin or a disobedience in your children, 
the more they will continue to do that, the harder it will be when you do realize, oh, I was failing to address this. It will take longer and more effort in order to eradicate that behavior because it's more ingrained and more inset in the child's heart. Yep. Yep. So if we delay in punishing, if we delay in teaching and instructing and correcting, the more likely that this heart now has like kind of a channel through here that can just bypass our defenses, you could say, or bypass our self-control or bypass the power of the spirit over the sin in our lives, that type of thing. It's easier to continue to sin the more you do it. And with the child, this and this is a good picture of it, the tyrant as well, if he can get away with wickedness, he will, as long as he can. And the more he does it, the worse it gets. Okay, that's the idea. But that's just on the tyrant. The other, Ezri? When you, are, when you don't have the spirit in you, even when you do, like, obedient things, they aren't really honoring to God because you aren't you don't have the spirit in you like your heart is still evil so anything that you do good is from your heart and so you're not really it's not really a good deed because mm -hmm. sure and this is sort of meant to represent your new heart which can control that and without that yeah in some sense you have you don't have control over it you couldn't act in a way that was ever considered pure or righteous yeah. Proverbs 4.23, <clears throat> the ESV says keep, but I've heard others say guard. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it fr flow the springs of life. Yeah. So there's your, your protection, your your guard around your heart, because if you don't keep it, you know, it's op it's a broken city yep. without walls. Yep. Thank you. I think that uh, Lucifer's job is to destroy us because... We are the children of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, no matter how we change, she's persistent to, to destroy us. Yeah. So no, it won't stop. It is not going to stop because we got baptized or <clears throat> all that. Yep. Even in your sleep, I find myself sometimes uh, having to say, go away, get away from me because never stop. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good reminder that we can't be lazy, complacent in our battle against sin because Satan isn't lazy or complacent and is constantly providing temptations for us. And if we're used to acting on the desires of our heart and just following what the desires of our heart will be led astray very easily. But if we're practicing to diligently discipline and control ourselves, then um we will we will be will it'll be norm more normal for us to avoid that sin and to act righteously okay um the other thing i guess we'll stop on this point or i'll try and do another one maybe but um the other thing we haven't really talked about this was dealing with the king or the tyrant um but who else is involved in the situation? You could think of your children as well. Let's say you have multiple children. The child who's sinning, certainly, 
is going to continue to sin the more that you allow them. But what does he say here? Because the sentence is not quickly executed for evil work, the heart of the sons of men is full in them to do evil. So the heart, because it's not constrained, is filled up with doing this evil. Okay? This is going to be a terrible analogy, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time. There's probably some errors in it. But you could also, I think this is similar to what he's saying here, if you could imagine the heart is composed of like, as a believer, um, some good here in there, and then some bad, something like this. And imagine um, if you, every time you act, just bear with me for another minute. I think this will help. Um, every time you act, you, in some sense, have a choice. Either what gets out is going to be the righteous and good deed or, or it's going to be the evil deed. Okay, and the more you learn to control yourself and restrict what you do, the more the desires of your heart become, you know, something like this, right? You're more likely, in a sense, to perform a righteous deed the more you do it. And what he's saying here, and again, I know there's all kinds of problems with this, but just for the sake of his statement, if judgment is slow to come and it's not constrained, then the heart of man is full in them to do evil. So you could think of it like this, like what's in the heart there has now been almost totally eclipsed. All the righteous deeds have been eclipsed, right? So what's going to come out is evil. The heart's full of evil. So when it acts, out comes evil. Okay, you can think of it like that. Now, what about the consequence on other people in the situation? Right? Because he's not just speaking of the tyrant. And when you have children in the room, okay, if one child is allowed to sin and continue with their wicked behavior, what, Liz, what do you think the consequence on the other kids is going to be? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to see that and think they can do it, right? It's like, oh, that's okay to do, I guess. So if Donna. Or they could become so jealous and angry with that person, they might um, want to do them harm or something. Yeah, because of our desire for justice, when you see that, it's like, hey, that's not right. Yeah, you want to in some way punish that person. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, Greg. Or they're older and they remember when you just had fewer kids and they're like, you used to discipline me for that. Now right. you're being unrighteous because you're letting them get away with it. Yeah. So you can see when you're, when discipline is not performed speedily, right? And we're just talking about kids, right? But it's in life in general. 
if discipline is not executed speedily, then it results in more wickedness on the part of the person doing it, more wickedness in the part of those around, and even in the one in authority, right? So that's the idea is that if we, in order to drive out the wickedness, it has to be dealt with quickly, right? I think that's a pretty good parenting tip as well. All right, um, we didn't quite make it through our section. We have a few more verses, so maybe next week we'll have a shorter class. We'll finish those up and then do like a Q&A. So come with some questions that you've had previously um, in the previous sections, okay? If you don't have any, we'll just raid the donuts and call it good. <laughs> All right, thank you guys.